Don't Hide the Scars, a weekly podcast focused on addiction and recovery. Created by the nonprofit Pain, parents and addicts in need, and founded by Flint Anderson. Were you going to say something else? Something stupid. <laughs> yes, the- yes, always. <laughs> yes. yes, right? Improv, yes. Uh, <laughs> that's the first rule of improv. Yes, and. The beautiful thing, the beautiful thing is now that it, you know, I'm in recovery, I have that stop button when people yeah, ask yeah. me. <laughs> Before they'd say, well, like, you want to repeat that? I'm like, yes, I would like to repeat that. <laughs> now I'm like, nope. No, nope. no, yep. <laughs> that one got away on me. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, Tom Farley, author of the Chris Farley Show, recovery advocate. Uh, welcome to uh, Don't Hide the Scars course with Flynn Anderson, founder of Parents and Addicts in Need, and myself, Jason Lachance. Good to see you again, Tom. Absolutely. Good to be seen. Good to be here. Yeah. Really great. <laughs> great to have you, Tom. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, let's dive right in. We were talking before we hit record about the importance of connectivity. And I know that the you and I've talked a lot about that, and I think we're all in agreement that the opposite of addiction isn't necessarily recovery. It's connectivity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so true. So true. And uh, you're getting back out there doing a lot more speaking and advocacy. What uh, what really are you finding through all this process now that we can actually well, co-mingle? You know, yeah, first of all, I get to connect with people and be out there, but it's, you know, COVID, it's like, it's like comics that are always looking for great material. Like COVID provided so much material. This is perfect. Right. Um, and, and like one of the first things I say to people is like, you know, um, you know, people like all of a sudden for the first time in, in who knows how long that, but um, uh, people around the world suddenly felt what it's like to be isolated and disconnected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, what I talk about all the time is like, and they hated it like 18 <laughs> right. months and they're starting fights in Walmart and like right. getting kicked off of planes. They're like, yeah, they couldn't handle it for 18 months. And my point to them is like, there are, have been people and our people in our society, in our communities, sometimes even in our families that have felt that disconnection and isolation every day of their life right mm-hmm. you felt it for 50 for you know 18 months two years and you you couldn't handle it so you you know it really gives perspective um uh and it gives us an opportunity to to you know reconnect and the and the importance of connection as we you know as we say you know uh, particularly when we're talking about addiction as a disease of isolation and the next step there uh, from there is that healing can't occur in isolation either. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, I'm walking around the other day and I, I still, I'm still seeing kids in masks, you know, and, and, and nothing yeah. bothers me more than to see a six-year-old, seven-year-old uh, walking around with a mask on. We're, we're finding so many issues these days that, that not only are these kids not connecting with somebody, by wearing that mask, they're being told not to. Yeah. yeah. And that's frightening. Yeah. Well, and we read so much, uh, so much of communication is nonverbal. And we put oh. that thing over our yeah. face, let alone you throw a hat on. We got it. Why do you think the fucking ninjas wore just this? <laughs> right. You know, and now here you go. Uh, you know, the way that it. I don't want to get too off into it, but the way that it was handled, we're going to see ramifications down the line and there's like no liability for it at all. And it's, it's, it's a little frightening to me. I worry about that with my kids as well. So I'm glad you brought that up. You bet. And then it's a wonder why, you know, you've got some of these kids that, that are turning to substances to, to, to mask their issues. I mean, I hate to use that term, but, but, but that's what, that's what they're doing, you know, um, now, now you're just creating again. We're it's just a creation of more and more issues that these kids are going to find a difficult time getting out of at at some point, and ho- hopefully they don't walk through my doors. But you know they could be right. And 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 at best, back you know back before COVID, you know they may or may not have. But usually, ha- we're able to at least rely 
on their parents or teachers for help. But now mm-hmm. parents and teachers got thrown into the bucket too. They're they're mm-hmm. just as 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 in need of of that as well. And so now, yeah, now now all of those support structures have been kind of like you know di- you know just really fractured. So we all we got we can't just rely on well that's the parents you know role or the teachers right. have to do that. No, we all do. We we totally right. all do. Yeah. Well, now, I mean, you're doing so much advocacy work and, of course, working in the uh, field of addiction recovery. What are you finding most when you're when you're going out and and speaking? I mean, I know you speak at schools and. Yeah. um, Well, you know, I what I I, what I love about how my approach to it. and and why it's so really uh, good? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's because you know from the start, from the start. Um, I mean, I couldn't have gone into this. You know, even when I started the Chris Farley Foundation. You know, if I'm if I'm using and in way back then, I did you know solely use Chris as kind of my you know my brand. You know, you know how I, I had to use you know incorporate at least uh, humor. And I watched all my brothers really connect with their audience through their gift of humor. So I'm like, okay, if I can just apply this to this very serious subject matter, um, not only you know will I get people's attention and 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 connect to my audience um, if I do it correctly and and appropriately, but I'm also adding back into um, a lot of people's worlds, you know, some some joy and, and laughter that they probably thought was gone forever sure and mm-hmm. so i love that that's my space you know and even even clinicians i was speaking um a couple of weeks ago to a bunch of healthcare executives in colorado and so you had not just the clinicians but you had the accounting people and the administrative people and i was talking this whole thing about connection and i then i and they had been at a whole conference weekend conference listening to speech after speech and PowerPoint after PowerPoint. And I got up there at the end and I said, and I was doing my motivational stuff. And then I said, let me demonstrate to you what I'm talking about here, the, the power of improv. And I'm like, five people, let's go. And all of these doctors, the clinicians like, what, what? And I brought them up on stage and I put them through this, this improv drill that took them totally out of their comfort zone and really showed them um you know, what it's like to connect and not, and be accepted and trusting and all those things that we, we, we look for, but we've, we've just, we, we, it's hard, so hard for us to go there. And like, this is what, you know, a trusting, um, you know, good ensemble looks like. And they were like, wow, that's, it was amazing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's funny because I, I love that. When, when, when I'm out doing my public speaking routine, I, I remember one time I was speaking to a bunch of graduate students at Fresno State uh, in psychology. And I get there. It's one of those Friday night classes of about 50 people. And, uh, you know, and they're bored to death anyway. And there was one guy before me that was talking about sex addiction. And so, you know, we each had two hours to speak. So I went in about 30 minutes early and I'm listening to this cat. And, and he's, he's standing there and he is as dry as the Sahara <laughs> desert. He, and he's got this PowerPoint thing going on. Okay. Right. right. With sex addiction. Right. And, and, and I'm texting my wife going, get me the hell out of here. Okay. And so what I did was, so this guy gets done and you hear this kind of sporadic, you know, bad little, word, bad, bad word choice. But <laughs> okay. so, so I get up, I get in front of these people and I said, listen, I said, I don't do PowerPoint. All right. I don't carry yeah. sticks. I don't turn to my back to you. I don't do it. This is about you and me. All right. And I'm going to give you the truth about addiction here. And you may like it. You may not like it, but here we go. <laughs> and I just lit into it for about an hour and a half. And again, not because it's me, but I got a standing O at the end. They were engaged. They were asking questions. They were doing those things. It's, it's like, that's, that's the point of what we're trying to do 
when we're talking about recovering, we're talking about substance abuse, you've got to get these people engaged. You've, you've got to speak their language that they know what you're yeah. talking about instead of some stupid ass PowerPoint behind you. <laughs> I get, you know, it, just, just, it was just beautiful. I just love that. Yeah, you got you got to light that fire. You got you know, connect to emotion. I'm like you know, yeah. you know, numbers and facts and figures. You know, there are a few people I think that you know are really attracted to that kind of thing. I don't hang out with them, but um, <laughs> right. but when you connect emotionally to to you know, not only are they you're not gonna they're 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 not gonna forget you. They're gonna be moved by it because that's what moves people. Right. You know, is is how you've you've engaged them emotionally and and connected to them uh, that way. And I guarantee you that, you know, that's where, that's where, you know, action happens, you know, when you've done that, not somebody walking out of your, you know, with this PowerPoint figure, you're like, well, did you know that X percent, like nobody's, uh, nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. Nobody cares. And then, Tom, I want to ask you this because this is, this is what I have found, especially speaking to high school students in particular. Uh, and of course, college students, but high school students, they think they're full-grown adults, and they want to be treated like full-grown adults, even though they're not. So when we go in, I mean, we're telling them real-life stories here. We're telling them the down-and-dirty part of, of my, my addiction. Of course, we, we incorporate that with, with fun and laughter and those kinds of things. Yeah. But but I find more high school students engage instead of when, when, when you're talking like that, instead of like a D.A.R.E. program sure. or Red Ribbon Week or any of that nonsense, because I don't agree with those programs at all, to be honest with you. But I don't know. Do you find the same thing when you're speaking to high schools? Well, you know, for years, you know, that's why I started what I was doing. You know, I, I looked at these Students and, and, and I still describe, you know, the first time I, I used to go into uh, health classes and, you know, there'd be all these, you know, like teens, like filing into class. You know, I talk about it all the time. It was like, so you'd have the jocks in one corner, fooling, you know, just joking around, pushing each other around, you know, in one corner. You had the, you know, the kids in black in the other corner, like coloring on themselves and being mopey. And then you had, yeah, me too. Um, I was kind of in between. But I, and then you had the people in the front with their notebooks open, ready to not take down every note like there was going to be a desk. And I would come in and he's introduced, this is Chris Farley, you know, uh, Tom Farley, brother of Chris, he runs the Chris Farley Foundation. And every kid would just like lean forward. Yeah. I had 100% attention. I'm like, okay, that tells me that. Well, you know that 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 the, the brand is is really key to, to you got to connect somehow. Right. But then, what do you do from there? And I I looked at all these programs that delivered facts and figures, and like how many more you know pamphlets do you need on methamphetamines or right. what the newest you know named you know drug or or opioid? Um, because that's all up there. They've all got it, but they've yeah. we've never given them a tool to use it. And yep. for me, that was communication. How do you help them communicate better? How do you help them, you know, form ensembles, connect, feel trusted, feel accepted? That's to me. And then they can like, oh, you know what? I remember for this class, that, then it'll come out. But to just jam them full of, you know, that, I mean, it's necessary, but there's the, the other half of the equation wasn't never approached. And right. I just knew I, I couldn't, <laughs> you know, on the <laughs> academic side, I couldn't do that. So I had to do something. I, I, re I remember this one time I was, I don't know if I told you this story, Jason, but I was speaking at a local high school. There was about 2,500 kids in there and they um, brought in all the kids with special needs. And I, there's, I just have such a place in my heart for special needs kids. And this one young man came up to me and he was talking to me beforehand. He had cerebral palsy and I, and I, and I couldn't understand him. Okay. I couldn't understand him, but he could understand me because the, 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 the brain's not really affected. I mean, they, sure. they, they can fully yeah. understand. And, and so of course, I'm just kind of trying to do my best to talk to him. So I get, I get into my story and we're, we're about 10, 12 minutes into this thing. And I'm telling this one piece about, about one of my sons and, and, and an incident that happened. And in the middle of this, all of a sudden, this young man starts wailing I mean, crying, 
Wayling. Huh. And of course, I have to continue. I, you know, I mean, you, you, you can't break stride here. And so I continue with my story. And of course, they, the teachers come in and they take this young man out. And then I was doing two, two, uh, two performance shows that day. So I, during the middle of it, during the break, I went to the teacher's lunchroom. And I saw the teacher that escorted this young man out. And, and I just asked her, I said, is he okay? You know, um, what, what, what happened? And this teacher looks at me and says, I, I'll never forget this as long as I live. She said, oh, he's fine. She said, he was crying for you. Oh, wow. And I just lost it. I mean, in this teacher's lunchroom. And I was like, oh, God. I mean. yeah. but, but you talk about connecting with somebody. You know, that was probably the most most poignant time I've connected with a kid. And it was just amazing. Just, just amazing. New Perceptions North, the premier drug and alcohol treatment and recovery center in Central California. A full continuum of medically supervised top quality care with programs for detox, inpatient residential treatment with dual diagnosis, intensive outpatient treatment, sober living, support groups, and more. With 50 plus years of combined experience and sobriety, Flint Anderson and Thelma Gatlin Wilson provide adult men and women with the highest caliber of professional health care, treating each client with compassion and respect, in a safe, comfortable environment to begin the process of recovery to proudly create and sustain a life without addiction, call 559-978-1507 or visit newperceptionsnorth.com. I got into this thing, you know, not not prepared for those moments. Mm. Um, I thought I was te- talking about, at that point, prevention. And again, I was talking about somebody else's addiction. So it was just, I was kind of, you know, separated from a lot of stuff, but I, I had, I remember I was in a little small little town in, in Wisconsin um, or small little rural town. And I was speaking to the whole class, you know, whole, actually the whole, probably the whole school, like 150 kids. And I was telling them about improv, I, I, you know, and, and improv is done by, you know, teaching these games. And I said, um, one, one game is, is first of all, we, we, we love as, as we love being, we're storytellers or, you know, we, that's part of our DNA. Sure. So we love telling stories and uh, uh, stories that have, you know, conflicts, you know, are great because they had drama and they're exciting, but you have to, at the end, resolve that. So we're going to tell a story uh, one word at a time. And I said, give, so give me a, a, a volunteer. And his kid's hands shoots up. And I, I'm thinking like, oh, the enthusiastic kid. Yeah, I, I had to share a bedroom with a kid like that. Um, <laughs> but I wasn't very afraid of like, come on down. But I saw every teacher in the auditorium just kind of go, oh, oh. And I'm like, I got this. Come on. Yeah, no, this is no big deal. And so we get up there and we go, all right, the, 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 the uh, conflict is we got an F on a report card. And we got to tell our parents. So we're doing it one word at a time. And I go, and I start off with a microphone. I go, mom. And he goes, dad. And we go, I have something to tell you. And we we're just kind of building the story. And during the time, you know, halfway through, he would say a word that had kind of a natural kind of next word. And I wouldn't say it. I would say something else. And because it's improv, he had to accept whatever I said. So he would go, hmm. And he would, we would muddle through. And then I would, I would say something. I was trying to get to the end. So I was kind of leading him. So I would say a word. And he would not say the word I wanted him to say. And I'm like, okay, you're good. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And we ended up resolving this problem that the F stood for fantastic instead of failure. And everyone claps. And I go to the cafeteria afterwards with all the teachers, and we have our, you know, a, a fabulous grilled cheese sandwich. And, um, <laughs> and I said, what, what was the problem with that? Kid was great. And the teachers go, you don't understand. That's one of the most autistic kids we have in the school. Wow. And what you just did, his peers – will never look at him the same again because they saw him up there doing this, which was something he would never do before. And like, the, and the kid, like he'll never, he may never feel that same level of self-esteem that he had in front of his class that you gave right. him, but he certainly will never forget it. Right. Yeah. Right. And now you're leaving the school and we're just, we're changed. And I'm like, Wait, what did I do? I'm like, <laughs> exactly. I was not I'm like, it, it is, yeah. yeah, that's the power of connection and and it what is. and this, the improv that I was doing, trying to teach kids to to communicate better. 
Yeah, it was That's crazy amazing. Stuff. I love that. I love that. Tom can make me cry. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you another one. So I did the same thing. It was a high school after school program in, in Lake Forest, Illinois. And I was doing the same service and I did the exact same drills. Like, give me one volunteer. And this girl in the front row who was yeah, some sort of developmentally, you know, you know, challenged, she raised her hand. And I go, come on up. And we did the same thing, but she struggled. She she actually was struggling with it, you know, but we got through and we we resolved it. But halfway through, when she was really struggling up there, and I was totally all whatever she said, I was accepting it. It was good. I was trusting, I was accepting. But halfway through, her aid starts coming from the back of the room, like you know, starts walking up to yeah. help her out as she's done every probably second of her life. And I gave her the stiff arm. I'm like, nope, we got this. Right. And just told her to sit down. And everyone saw that. And the girl saw me do that. And she's like, wait, I can do this by myself? Yeah. And she finished it. It was probably the first time in her life where somebody gave her just everything she needed. You don't need, you know, uh, th- we got this. You don't yeah. need help, your aid. And every, all her peers saw this. And again, it's just like, I don't know what happened after I left, Magical. but I'm sure it was different. Yeah, absolutely. That. It was. All right. All right. I need a <laughs> second here. Oh, well, let's talk about, uh, and as you present there, the um, challenge to cope on your own and that I got this. Um, let's jump back to, to kind of childhood and, and the Farley family and coping if we, if we will, because, you know, the lineage of substance abuse is ever present. Oh, we, yeah, we had all the, we had all the tinker toys, you know, there we had the, you know, the, we were Irish. We were from Wisconsin, which I don't know if you know, have a bit of a drinky problem out here. Um, we, you know, family history, you know, we had all the stuff and, you know, and, and also, you know, kind of not, and not just on the drinking, but, you know, Irish, we love to kind of create narratives and tell stories and, and really not live, you know, truthfully. <laughs> so we had it all. It was just perfect package. And, um, and, uh, yeah, so it, we, but it was more than, I talk about this. This was interesting when I first started. Uh, my job here at Rosecrans, we, I was asked to speak at an alumni uh, retreat, and it was, it was virtual. So I'm listening to all the speakers, like, you know, all day long as speakers. I was, the, I was the final speaker. I was the, the, big, the big end, the, you know, the, the headline. Um, so I'm listening to this clinician, and she's talking about trauma. And I, to me, I was trauma. Okay. I, I know trauma. Like, you know, your life's going this way then something happens and now, well, uh, now you're down this path. You know, I thought it was something specific and which it is, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the big T trauma as they, as they say it, but she was talking about other little things that go to form kind of your behaviors and stuff like that. And I'm listening to this. And, and by the time it got to be about an hour later, it was my turn. I'm like, hey, hey, time out. Like, I got had the speech, but I got to talk about this. I go, I, this just like, I, it just hit me at the moment. I'm like, it, I realized that in my family, you know, I, I said, here's what trauma was like in my family. And I said, we had literally one, I used to I like to say it's, I don't know if it's so good now but uh, it's we, we had one emotional bullet in our gun once can you imagine what that one emotion with that farley's like <laughs> did for ev- like humor for everything you know that was um so like which means so if somebody was stressed out frustrated in our family we laughed if somebody was angry we definitely laughed um, if somebody like fell and hurt themselves, we laughed, not because we were mean or anything, but right. we just didn't like people being in pain. Right. And we had right. this gift of this Irish laughter that, that we thought could solve everything. So we, we, everything, we didn't learn any other emotions, but that, like when somebody experienced joy, we laughed, which isn't the same thing. Right. We couldn't right. even let people go to the, the highest end of the emotional scale positively without taking it down to laughter. That was our our way, and 
And then we developed a second emotion, which means that when somebody wasn't responding the way we wanted them to, like they fell, they hurt themselves, and we laughed, and they're still in pain, then we got frustrated and angry. So we ping-ponged between right. these two kind of things. And, and, and you know, I said, oh, I'm not going to bring my kids up like my like – my, but I became the dad that teased that, you know, if somebody was afraid of the dark, I would tell a spooky story. You know, I, 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 that's all I knew. And it literally wasn't until I got into recovery that I started exploring these other things like gratitude and, and humility and grace and all these other emotions that, that are necessary to recover. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is, I thought it was just, you know, I just, avoid drinking no i got and there was some heavy duty work to be done uh thanks to just you know this this kind of fun farly little family that i was uh raised in so it's but but it was interesting it was really like i couldn't have like you know recovery wouldn't have been successful without those kind of you know um those moments i'm like and so i yeah it was great to be able to talk to that like live on the like right there like Thought this guy was supposed to tell jokes. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how has, because uh, I know, and we've talked that you and I kind of had a similar approach at one time to uh, our alcoholism. Both of us are primary drug of choice, as if we had a choice, but we both kind of white knuckled it and then took it serious with 12 steps and stuff like that. How has it now? the relationship changed with your kids and your family members because oh. you've really dug into it uh, like hardcore. Yeah. You know, again, I go back to that kind of Irish thing. When, when I, when I first heard the words um, in a meeting, you know, rigorous honesty, I went, Oh, oh. wow. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> and I just like, I, because I knew I was carrying this, just, just several narratives about who Tom Farley was, you know, about trying to show people this image, you know, and, and it got really tiring and, you know, and, and, and also alcohol wasn't the, um, the medication that I, you know, initially used it for. It just wasn't, you know, um, yeah. Um, it was, that wasn't working either. It just became a problem. So, yeah. So that's just been, that's been really neat. Just kind of, Delving there, but as you said, like I had when I was running the Chris Farley Foundation, going into schools and talking, I there was and because my kids were little, I didn't want them to kind of be raised in that same environment I grew up in, which I thought was just about drinking. So I I could get five years of sobriety under my belt um, because I had so much going on, um, and but you know you know stress would come back in my life and you know, I was back on varsity, you know, <laughs> immediately, right. you know, it was, it was, it, it was amazing how, how like, well, I can have like one Guinness on St. Patrick's day right. or maybe, maybe two. That's okay. Right. And then it was just, yeah, that was, yeah, it was over. Um, so I just did that, you know, multi, you know, a couple of times and, and yet I was still creating these like amazing, um, you know, fractured relationships and train wrecks everywhere and job loss and all that kind of stuff. Like, but I'm sober, you know, and I would go into, I would try to go into meetings during those times. And I would, that sobriety was, you know, was always my barometer. I would like, well, I don't, I don't drink that much, you know, or that right. guy takes drugs and drinks like, right. ooh, you know, and that was the wrong barometer. But when I finally, this, the, this last time when I finally got fed up again and I had like four months of sobriety. I'm like, I'm going to stop again. I got four months in and I um, ran into an old friend of mine that, that, that runs a, um, uh, a outpatient clinic here. That's not part of Rose Grants. Now I, I work with her, but I started, you know, doing my improv stuff with her team groups years ago. And she said, how are you doing? I was like, you know, great. Like I proud, like proudly announced that I've been four months sober. She said, oh, okay, that's great. It's like, let's get coffee sometime. I'm like, ah, I'd love to. That'd be great. Where, you know, like, where, where should we, when we, she goes, why don't you meet me Saturday morning, nine o'clock in the basement of the Presbyterian church? There it is. <laughs> okay. Okay. There it is. <laughs> I hear you. And 
but I could, I trusted her and I knew that she was helped so many people. I'm like, okay. And I walked in and I started, um, it took me a couple of times cause I thought like, Oh, I, I have an audience. So I was just doing stupid, you know, like reading the fifth chapter chapter in like a British voice, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I'm kidding. I didn't do that, but, um, stuff like that though. And then I just started to, and she said to me like about a year and she goes, it's, a, it was amazing to watch you just ex- the, the, the level of acceptance grow. And I realized quickly that it wasn't about drinking. It was about like, Oh, I think like that guy, I think, yeah. well, this person, yep. I think like that. And I'm, I'm totally, not, you know, dishonest in that way. And all of a sudden, like, I just realized that this wasn't that, that the sobriety was only giving me the clarity to work on all this other stuff, which I, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that was the point of it all. So right. once I was, I mean, and it's been so great. You know, you mentioned my kids boy, I, in the middle of COVID. My daughter came out from the one that graduated from NYU came out um, to visit um, and we went to a restaurant <clears throat> and, you know, it was kind of that COVID break. So it's like, well, th- well, we don't have menus, you know, some, you just order on your phone and somebody will, you know, bring your food to your table, you know, and I like, I'm a technology guy. I'm not like, like some old geezer, you know, but I like, I have a question. Um, she's on her phone. I'm on my phone, but I'm paying for both. Like, how do we do that? And he was like, well, if you, if you, if you really need a menu, I'm like, that's not what I'm saying. Just help me free this up. And I was just getting really, you know, you know, just frustrated. And I was taking it out on him. Uh, you know what? I'll, fi- I'll figure this out. And then we figured it out and the food came and I was nice to the guy. It was just kind of, but in between that, I said to my daughter, like, you know what? Really sorry. You know, I, I, I did that. And she said, dad, you know, like, like when we were growing up, those moments happened all the time. And we just knew just not to be around you the rest of the day because it yeah. would go on the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And to yeah. just see you within five minutes, just turn, yeah, turn it off and 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 apologize for it. I, I mean, I almost started crying. I mean, it was like yeah. Yeah. You, like you saw that, you're like, like, yeah, this is this is somebody completely different. And it's just so it's so great for um those moments for for your kid to acknowledge see it and acknowledge for not just your kids but anyone like that you've seen long you know that you've had and and this was a relationship that i had you know fractured for all of my you know um you know addiction and alcoholism and so to see it start to um repair and 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 i didn't require her to do anything right it's all me yeah you know, isn't that amazing? It, it's, I, d- I did the same thing with my kids for 23 years, you know, and um, uh, that is something that I have a great relationship with, with my sons today. But, you know, Tom, there are times when I look back on those moments and, you know, what I put them through. Um, yeah. And, and I, I remember I was, I was about four years into my recovery and uh, it was a Saturday morning. Um, my sons weren't living with us there because now my sons are what? What are they? Gosh, they're 42 and 36, something like that. But so this was four years into it, Saturday morning. I'm kind of in a bad mood for whatever reason. And, and my older son, of course, still wants mom to do his laundry. So he comes over <laughs> from his house to my house. And he walks to the back door. He dumps his, his laundry on the on, on the floor. And I'm standing right there. And I go, man, I go, will you pick up the fucking laundry? Okay, so mom doesn't have to bend down and pick it up. And, and he looks up at me, Tom, and he goes, did you use something today? And I just went, my shoulders slumped. I just went from here to here in less than a second. And I looked at him and I go, is that what you really think? And he goes, no. He said, but your attitude sure acted like it. And I just went, man, I'm, I'm sorry. Mm. I said, and I changed my voice and I said, but can you still pick up your clothes? So mom doesn't have to bend down and pick them up. And he goes, that's what I was kind of waiting to hear. 
my point here is those memories, our voices, our actions, the look on our face, all of those things will stay with them for the remainder of their lives, yeah. right? And the yeah. only right, and the only thing that I can do in that little when when those things arise now is obviously to apologize quickly, ask for forgiveness quickly, because they know, they they know when you're using or not, oh, and sure. of course, yeah, right, and and and. But it was it was a moment that I just had with my son right there, yeah. and it was it was an eye opening moment to where man, I really caused some damage here. Yeah, mm. you know. But I still have to move forward as well. I can't dwell on that either. I have to take those steps to continue to change, even though I've got twenty one years of sobriety, and I still have to work at things every day. Yeah. yeah, but you know what you're doing, though? You're breaking that cycle. You know, it, 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 we all want to be better, you know, parents than our parents. And yet we're not given, like, you know, any, any you know, a playbook to do that. you got to right. figure it out. Like as I said, I didn't want to be, you know, like my, my parent, but I was, I, I did kind of fall back on that emotional, you know, coping mechanism. And it, it wasn't helpful for my kids. But what I, what you can do though, because your, your kids are going to like, well, I don't want to be like that. That's a good, you know, they'll, you know, they'll take the good and try and throw out the bad, but, and, and go forward. But what you can do is, is and I think, you know, people in recovery have, have, have an amazing capacity, ability, whatever you want to call it to do this is, is to accelerate that process by saying, this is what I, you know, be, by taking, you know, this is what I, yeah, this is what I did. And this yeah. is, that is the thing. Yeah. That, that's, that is that, that thinking that I have that I'm trying to change and it's going to take a lifetime to do it, right. but, and I'm going to fall back on it. But the more your kids hear that, you know, um, then they don't fall back. They don't like go back on this memory this model that you originally showed them, they're, they're, you're emphasizing this new person, this new model. Right. And that's what you're, that's what they, that's, it's that shift. Now I'm giving you a kind of a new model here. And I want to, you know, point out those moments or with your help to like say, this is, this is a, this is a better shot. You can't undo what you did. Right. But if you want to use a model, it's, I'm, I'm trying to give you something better to go on. Absolutely. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. Yeah. Breaking well a lot of the uh, uh, subconscious way of not only doing things, but the response to it and creating a new paradigm for what the relationship and interactions can be like moving forward. And for me, I know it's a part of that rigorous inventory, which, yeah. you yeah. know, talking with yep. new people to the program, it's like, ah, I've done my inventory. I'm good. It's like, Oh no, no, no you're no. you're going to be doing that the rest of your life. It's yeah, not yeah. this isn't a one time. Ah, I've done all 12 steps. Woohoo. Can I get a chip now? It's like, oh, some bitch, you're going to have to do this all the time the rest you of your bet. life. I'd I'd like the rest of the world to actually read the big book. Yeah. Uh, and 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 work the 12 step program. You know, I think that that, that is such a, a a great foundation for everybody, just not those in recovery. I, yeah. I, I really do, you know, and it's interesting now today, wherever I'm at in my recovery, you know, even unconsciously, I go, I probably use one of those 12 steps at some point every day mm. without well, even I realizing it. I certainly say the serenity prayer almost every day. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's for certain, but you know, it's interesting. I was, um, I was thinking about that there because now that there's so many, 12-step programs for almost any, and everything. And a lot of people just kind of are very sticklers about like, this is for this, that's for that. And, yeah. and I, somebody, you know, I've, <laughs> I've got a bit of a weight problem. That's kind of, <laughs> <weird. laughs> so uh, and believe me, and I was told, like, I was told like, if I stop drinking that, you know, the, the weight loss, that's, that's well, the part pounds of the will fall off, right? <laughs> that was a myth. They lied to me. So, and then they said, well, you should, you know, join OA. And I'm not knocking some of these other things, but I, I, I'm, 
you know, I'm only like, you know, just under shy of four years in recovery now. I've, I'm, I'm still a baby, you know, in terms of all this. And they said, like, do this. I'm like, you know what? The problem with that of going to like another uh, 12-step program to work on this other thing of mine is that I will like do the same thing I'm doing in this uh, recovery program. I would do the same thing over there. If I'm not kind of doing my inventory as much as I should, you know what? I'm definitely going to avoid doing that over there too. So what's the difference? Yeah. You know, if I got to change my mindset and the way I think it's universal, it's not just about my drinking. It's got to be about almost everything. And absolutely. um, So that's an, you know, I, I, that's just for me. Maybe again, some people, you know, compartmentalize. I just know that if I'm going to, if I'm going to cut corners, you know, here, which, uh, you know, um, I have, I'll be honest. Um, I will, uh, I'll do the same over there, you know, sure, like, sure. like amends, like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do like kind of like gray area amends and like say, <laughs> I did that. You know, no, I said, I was sorry. He's like, no, you did. <laughs> you, 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 yeah, you painted the corners, but yeah, it's, uh, I'll do the same thing over there. Well, so. you know, it's, 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 it's changing, at least with me, it's changing behavior. It's, yeah. it's it, that, that's, that's what it comes down to. And, and, and again, none of us are perfect. We're never going to be it. It's it's So it's going to take a lifetime to, to change, but you know, there are parts of me that even people will say, don't, don't change that. You know, I mean, I yeah. look, I'm known as a hard ass in the, in the recovery community around here. You know, I'm never going to change that. I'm sorry. You know, if you think I'm going to come in and soft, soft speak somebody and, and soft soap it, no, you are you are desperately wrong. And and so I'm going to come at it. I'm still going to be me. I'm still going to have my personality. It will be toned down to some degree. Jason, knows this. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, look, we are who we who we are. That's that's it. And, yeah. and and a lot of this, I mean, don't change your weight. I'm not going to change my attitude. I'm not <laughs> going to do those things. You know what? If people don't like it, who? what do I give a shit? I don't. You're right. And it's just such a process, you know, that, you know, I, I started out like thinking, you know, like first couple of months going, really, the rest of my life? Yeah. And now it's like, I'm like, God, I hope so. You know, as, as people have said, you know, one of the one of the greatest things I heard somebody saying to me, and it was like, you know, um, I know I have another relapse in me, but I I I can't guarantee I've got another recovery. And Correct. Like, wow. Yeah, yeah, I need to hear that enough. Yeah. Yep. Um, and to the point where, like, even like the like I remember like the first year, there's there's always that old guy, and um, in in one of my main meetings, you know, there is. The whole, the don't drink, go to meetings guy, you know? Yeah. Do you have something to share? Yeah. Don't drink, go to meetings. Okay. Got it. And I would like, <laughs> All right. you know, and then I thought like, you know, a couple years, you know, into, I'm like, you know, someday, you know, five years, 10 years could be next week. You know, I'm going to be at that point where I'm, you know, because of my thinking, I may quite, I, something might happen and I might have too much stress and, and, and I'll be in a meeting and some guy will say just that simple thing right when I need to hear it. Yes. You know? Um, and I'm like, okay, that's why you, that's why you just keep coming back and keep going. Cause even the, even the, the, the just simplest of things that you think are just like, so yeah, I got it. You, you never know. And I, and I said to him once, you know, he goes, yeah, you might, you know, you know, chide me because I say that in every meeting. It's like, yeah, you know what? But I've noticed that, like, depending on wh- where I am at that given point, I hear you say it, but I I hear it differently sometimes. Mm-hmm. It means something different. And he goes, "Really?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." So keep saying it. I need you to keep saying that. Exactly. Just those little things. You know, yeah. you know, one of the one of the things I wanted to mention too is I love the fact that you're working in recovery. I've been working in it for quite some time. But I heard something one time that a person said. Working in recovery is not your recovery. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, there's so many people out there that want that work in recovery, and they use that as their recovery program, and that 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 doesn't fly. I've seen more people relapse that work in recovery than than not. 
And I see that all the, all the time. And, and so when I, when I walk away from here, I have to, I still follow my own recovery path. Well, absolutely. And I, I, you know, I, there's all, there's a a bit of, you know, it's, you know, the advocacy stuff that I do, sometimes it's, it's within the industry, you Mm -hmm. know, a lot of, a lot of great clinicians and therapists are, are good, but they're not in recovery. And, you know, and they have, they have a lot of great experience and, and deep knowledge in, in their field. But sometimes, you know, you, you got to remind them, like, do you know your customer? Do you know your customer? I mean, do yeah. you know, like, yeah. like I, I, um, uh, what were we doing? Oh, there was, we were, we were talking about, it was right when COVID was kind of lifting and, masks were coming off and they were talking about COVID protocols in the clinic and they're like, well, here's what we want. You know, you know, we, our clients, we want them to, you know, you know, take the temperature. Do it. They had all these like protocols for how we're going to bring clients back into the clinic. And I just kind of raised my hand. I'm like, you know, I don't know what, you know, what the demographics is of, of, of our, I was fairly new. So, um, I said, I don't know what our clients look like, but you do realize that there are some people in our in our community that their entire lives they've been told the rules and how to do things, you know, and like here's how you will work with us, and here's how you will, you know, comport yourself in you know in our you know Midwestern society and all this stuff, and we're going to come at them with with that. I know it's serious and it's a pandemic and everything, but understand that you know, it could be a barrier to some people there, you know, so you need to kind of find a different way to communicate that, Mm -hmm. you know, and and it's just that kind of thinking that like, I understand how, how I would have, if I were coming in, you know, first time, like, you know, to an IOP and was given this rules, I would have shut, you know, uh, you know, I would have said, okay, thanks. You don't really care about like, you know, my, you're, yeah, you care yeah. about your rules and protocols. Yeah. Tom, I, I had an interesting uh, last night. I was watching a documentary on Galaxy Quest. I don't know why I love I that, that movie. Well. But I the love, documentary, in the documentary, Justin Long, his character, he said he, he partly based a lot of the nuances on Chris. And I was like, wow. Totally. This is, this is weird because uh, talking to Tom tomorrow, I just happened to watch this thing. How do you kind of look at the family? You know, because I know talking to you, the sense of humor, it's family based. I mean, so much of the stuff that people know that Chris did was your dad. How do you yeah, kind of well, look, look now like, wow, I wonder what my dad's response would be to me using the, the Farley humor, but in recovery? Ah, uh, you know, it's interesting. I don't know. I don't know how, you know, he would have responded to a lot of things, sure. you know? Um, um, yeah, I, you know, and, and, uh, and I, but, but it's interesting. I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if, if, if Chris would have been able to get, um, you know, really successful and very far in his recovery because there was just that piece, that dad piece, you know, Um, he would have had to really do some hard lifting and, you know, but, but the thing is, you know, somebody asked me what, you know, what I, you know, if I hope for or what regret, I don't know what, how it was posed, but I, I said to a, at a, at a, at a meeting uh, um, that I was sharing my story, I said, boy, I, I would have really loved to have been in recovery with Chris because we were, we would have been able to talk honestly and openly about some of the same traumas, you know, that, that were affecting both of us. And, you know, we would have gotten, we would have been able to really kind of help each other out because it, it, you know, it's so unique, you know, that you have two people that kind of, you know, grew up with some of the same stuff and, and uh, with the same history, family histories did the same things. And, you know, um, that would have been very interesting. I think we could have really, um, it would have been amazing. I just know that. Well, you guys shared a bedroom growing up. Yeah, that was horrible, but that was, <laughs> that, 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 oh my God. 
every night, just so many questions, like would not let me go to bed. <laughs> you know, uh, and then you know, twenty years later, doing that same bit with Paul McCartney, and I'm like, oh, that's the, he's getting paid for this. You're not paying for this, are you? Right. That's him. Uh. Boy, well, Tom, I mean, gosh, I don't know how many stories we could ask before if we got enough time, but I know there's me. I, I do have to ask because you brought up Paul McCartney. We're both fans here. I know you had an interaction with Paul McCartney. <laughs> if you could at least share that story, please. Oh, yeah, it was. I'm, yeah. Uh, so anyway, this was, um, you know, Chris was just killing, you know, he was just doing so well in his recovery and. You know, and I was not. I was just, you know, that's Chris's problem. And I was kind of going off. So it was uh, a lot of my college friends uh, were coming into New York. We both we lived in New York and uh, it, it was a bachelor party weekend. So we all met for lunch, at, you know, had a bunch of pints at some Irish pub in New York. And everyone else was going back to if they were from out of town, whatever, their hotel room, their apartment to like, you know, just, you know, get second wind for the the big night. The big so, night. Um, but I took two of my buddies and I'm like, uh, let's go up and see Chris. You know, it was a Saturday afternoon. So we go up to 30 Rock and and Chris is like, oh, yeah, good to see you. You know, he's being really gracious. He didn't have to really practice. So he's taking us, my friends, to tour around because they had the first time he'd been up there. And we walked by this like door and behind the door we hear this hey jude and we're like we're not moving till that door opens we're just we just plant chris was all right you want to meet the guy and like yeah and so he walks out and uh chris introduces me and he goes uh this is my brother tom and i'm you know <laughs> and he looks at me oh the serious brother i got me one of them too i'm like oh we're on okay you want to do this <laughs> and uh because I, I got some courage. I got some, I, I, you know, had a whole lunchtime full of, uh, and I'm like, hey, Paul, just so you know, this is Saturday Night Live, man. This could really make your career. This could be, this could be it. And Chris just, like, the look on his face is like, oh my God. <laughs> this is a beetle. And my other buddy, you know, this, you know, a couple of cocky Georgetown guys goes, uh, yeah, but just, you know, there's a big audience, maybe, you know, maybe a little, Grecian formula or whatever, hide the gray. And uh, Chris goes, all right, that's it. You know, and he just like literally like, you know, with hand of the air, pulled me out of the place. I was like, get out, get out of here. And uh, he's like, I can't believe you're like giving shit to a beetle. And I'm like, is that bad? And like, yeah, it is. That's really <laughs> Never sound like so. Yeah, of course, I was being funny. I'm like, yeah, okay, we're professionals around right here. Uh, and be funny that's great uh, that's great well thanks uh, for sharing that one tom um if there's anything you could share with people that i hope folks took away about a any family lineage you know as i've shared with you i have it flint you know your background too that um just in general when it comes to recovery changing your life what what might you lend to folks you know, I my thing for me, you know, as I said, I, I just clung to that rigorous honesty. I, I just, you know, I love being able to present, you know, this 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 real person for for the first time in my life. You know, I was always trying to, you know, uh, kind of be who I thought people wanted to see. Even my yeah. kids, you know, my my ex wife and. My family, in my my work, I was trying to like present this totally inauthentic person. And it was tiring. I was failing. You know, I I I drank because I knew this was not like there was something off, something that I was doing that was uncomfortable. And so, to just be able to um, just be honest, and I, and when I say you know honesty, it, it doesn't mean me sharing my story. You know, that's, that is, you know, that's, that's, that's just, but me just being authentic, me, you know, just me, um, you know, just working for a change, you know, like for, for part of that, you know, one of the things that, that somebody said in a meeting that was one of those like bell ringers uh, moments was um, a simple, just a story, just like, 
you know, um, actions before results yeah. was a theme of a, of a meeting once. I'm like, wait, what? And it's like, yeah. Like, and I'm like, I realized I had lived my whole life looking at results. Like, well, I went to this college, so I should be here. I should have this kind of house, you know, I am, you know, I should have you know, the, you know, all this kind of stuff is what I always look at the result and not doing the work, not doing the actions. Right. Not in, and all of a sudden, just in recovery, just paying attention to, um, you know, the stuff I can control, all those results, you know, I was looking at, like, why isn't that happening? It was like, because you're not doing the stuff, you know, that you're not, that you're in control of. And, you know, you're in control of, the act- of your actions. Those produce the results, not like everything else. So, yeah, just all of a sudden like seeing that. And again, life didn't get any easier for me, but it's getting, it's definitely getting better. You know, there's still stuff, but it's like, I just, and I just feel better about being more honest and, and doing, um, doing the work, you know, you know, I've, I've, I've said this for years that that first four years of one's recovery is at least to me was the toughest time. Um, because I, I knew there was so much change that had to be made. And I, again, I'm one of those guys is let's, let's get in, let's get it done. I, you know, this is taking too long. Uh, you know, I, I, I got to speed the process up here. And, and, and once I started slowing up that process, um, I, I, I found that things were just a little bit smoother because, um, my, my guilt was so bad about the things that I had done and the things that I had done to people that I wanted to get to the end fast. Yeah. And as soon as I realized is that there is no end, right? This is going wow. to be constant. This is something that I'm going to have to work on for the rest of my life. Then it tended to get a little easier. Plus, in that first four years, that brain is now beginning to actually heal, mm-hmm serotonin's coming back, dopamine's coming back, your, your maturity level is, is coming back to life again. You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's a difference, you know, my maturity level is in the shitter. Okay. For, for, I mean, cause you know, it's the old story, you know, when, when, when you get, especially with opioids, it cuts your maturity level in half. So when I got clean and sober at 45, my family was still dealing with a 22 year old. You know, but now at, at almost 67, I'm, I still think I'm 18 from the neck up, but the body, I'm like from 90, you know. Um, yeah, let's not go there. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's just not. But, There's pills for that, you know. Yeah, well, well that's the <laughs> oh, other that's thing. Yeah. I don't need that. <laughs> I'm just giving you shit. I, I know you are. But, but that first four years, um, yeah, yeah, it's a little tough during then. Yeah. But I'll tell you, you know. After that, after that four years, man, things just start to level out a little bit and it's kind of nice. I like that. I like that level of just being there. You know, uh, I don't, I don't worry about as much. I don't take things as serious as I used to. Um, I still have to think about things, obviously, but it does, it does get a little easier, but I'm going to go back to something that you said a while back, and, and, and I've heard that statement a lot, and I've told people this. I have another relapse in me. I guarantee you I do not have another recovery in me. If I went out and used today, I will not be back because it's just too damn hard. Yeah. Just too yeah. damn hard, right? And, and, and so me knowing that, that actually gives me that strength to, to continue down this path. Cause I live by one mantra and, and that is when I die, my sons, my wife will know that I did not die of a drug overdose. Nice. I could get hit by a bus, plane crash, cancer, whatever it is, but they're, they're going to know that I didn't die from a drug overdose. Yeah. That's important. That is nice. That's a nice thought. It Thank absolutely you. is. Um, yeah, you know, I I gotta say, like you know, you know, early in my recovery, I I, I kind of the, the pandemic was actually kind of nice. It kind of like it allowed me to kind of kind of clear the decks of you know yeah. like friends and people that I, that I didn't really need to be. I didn't you know, no one was going into bars, and so like okay, well, I'm not doing that. 
Um, but uh, it also gave me because I was going to meetings and, and even like I was going to, you know, me, you know, virtual meetings all over the place. And it, 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 it gave me the, like, this is what, this is what the opposite of isolation. I, even though everyone is in isolation, I get to connect and be, you know, with people, even though it's just in, in confined to, 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 you know, my drinking and, and addiction, it doesn't matter. It's a connection. I felt yeah. what that felt like. And now I get to take it after COVID. Now I've, I get to take it. I'm like, now I'm going out into the real world and I know what that feels like. And when I don't feel that, when I don't feel that I'm being, you know, honest or people around me aren't being honest or trusting or, or accepting, uh, I know I can, I, I back away. You know, I don't need, I don't, you know, it's a, it's what I use now to, I mean, like, yeah, I, I know where, you know, that connection feels the best. And it's not, right. I, and it's not that I want to stay there. It's just like, that's, that's where I'm reminded of what this feels like. And then I can go back out and if I ever feel, you know, um, you know, anything again, I, you know, I can go back. There's a meeting you know, and I can connect any place, anytime I want. Right. You know, there's, there's another important piece for me in all of this, because again, when we're talking about connecting with people, that's, that's, that's so incredibly important. And most of us, you know, again, are kind of built the same. We've got to go, we got to go. We want to do this. We want to go to 18 meetings a day, blah, 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 on and on and on. But I also preach the fact that we need to learn to sit with ourselves mm. at, yeah. at, at, at certain times. And one of the things I, I try to tell people is in recovery is try going home, and not just turning off your phone or putting it on silent, but power it off. Hmm. Go into your bedroom. Don't read. Don't turn on the television. Don't turn on music. Close the blinds during the day, by the way, not at night because you're going to knock off. All right. During the day and spend an hour with yourself. And practice that. Because that, again, it's, I'm not some hippie let's meditate bullshit okay no this is yeah. sitting that's a sitting with one's self and just thinking about yourself it's not that's not being what's the word i'm trying to think of here that's that's not being um arrogant it's not being any of those yeah. things it's being, it's, just, it's being present and and if you can do that and constantly do you don't have to do it every day you know but 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 do it now and then man there it's it's kind of rejuvenating you know, plus it, then, then with me, it gets me fired up to even go out and do more. Sure. Totally. Tom, uh, if people want to get in contact with you, find out more about what you got going on, what are some ways they can go about doing that? Well, I see, I, you know, like, you know, Instagram, I, you know, I, I it's so funny. Like, like before when like social media came up, boy, I was like, curate curating this amazing look at tom farley kind of stuff and i was on all the time posting stuff and you know and and now i just laugh at people that do that i'm like <laughs> you know um but you know instagram is um uh uh tom farley tom farley too on instagram uh again i don't do much twitter but it's you know uh at mad farley m-a-d-f-a-r-l-e-y Stands for Madison, but it could also stand for crazy. <laughs> I don't know. It, it changes daily. Um, and uh, I guess that's, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's it. That's all. I, I, my kids won't let me go on anything else, Snapchat or things like that. <laughs> I, I aged out. I know it. I'm there, Tom. I am there. Uh, that's probably a good thing. Yeah. You just sit in that loop of bullshit. Like, really? My yeah. thing is going, wow, people really do this. And I guess they make a living at it. Shit. Okay. <laughs> Here I was developing life skills in, uh, you know, different abilities. Son of a, okay. <laughs> Whatever. Well, Tom, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Always good. Always good to get out and talk. And you guys, you know, a great platform, good message. Um, I, uh, yeah, um, I don't get to the West coast much, but, uh, Would my love son's to have now you. A, an actor out in LA. So I'll probably have to do that at some point. 
Yeah. I tell you what, you come out to LA. My son's an actor in LA too. You cut, you come out there. We'll, I'll, I'll drive up from Fresno. We'll go have lunch and we'll, we'll shoot the breeze a little bit. How's that sound? That, that sounds perfect. Yeah. You that got it. Fun. What a pleasure having you, Tom. What a pleasure. Good to see you guys. Good Jason. Good to see you. Always fun. Yes, sir. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, please call Parents and Addicts in Need at 559-579-1551 or check us out online at painnonprofit.org. Follow us on social media at Pain Nonprofit. Please subscribe to the podcast and share with others wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. To donate, please click the link in the description and help us save more lives gripped by addiction. This podcast contains the views and opinions of hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page.